One of the greatest obstacles to crafting health and wellness is identifying and controlling inflammation. It's at the core of all complex and chronic diseases, and it's the driving mechanism that underlies the most common symptoms that people like you struggle to overcome. Join us as we explore cutting-edge science and research to give you the information and tools you need to create the quality of life you want and deserve. And now, here is the host of Inflammation Nation, Dr. Stephen Nosworthy. Well, all of the discussions we've been having up to this point are um, to give necessary information, practical information, but also to lead us into a discussion about controlling inflammation in an effort to improve weight loss or uh, this whole body recomposition process. And I said in our last discussion that if you have some kind of a systemic inflammatory problem, uh, that, that will predictably do two things. And that is, number one, increase the rate at which you lay down body fat from uh, excess calories. And number two, it will decrease your ability to break down that body fat and burn it for fuel. So in essence, inflamed people tend to carry around, around more body fat relative to their activity level, their muscle mass, their gender, their age, their caloric intake, than somebody who might have all those same things but is not inflamed. And this is, uh, again, one of the reasons why we see failed weight loss efforts where people are eating enough calories to lose weight and they're doing enough physical activity and exercise to lose weight, but it doesn't really happen. There's some kind of a metabolic obstacle. I did mention in another discussion or episode that insulin control is one of the key things. And this is one of the reasons why we want to minimize um, our carbohydrate intake is to make sure that we're controlling our insulin levels. Now, insulin by itself is a it's a pro-inflammatory compound. So the more insulin we have, if we are in a hyperinsulinemic state, we tend to be more inflamed anyways. And high insulin tends to be associated with metabolic dysfunction, which is the mechanism by which somebody becomes a type 2 diabetic. And that is, if nothing else, a, a at a cellular level, a pervasive inflammatory condition. But regardless of that bigger picture, inflammation, I'm sorry, insulin is pro-inflammatory in and of itself. And so insulin, uh, very interestingly, and I think we have to separate this discussion probably into two different things. One, where we talk about insulin and its, and its impact on the potential for weight gain or weight loss, um, and then have a separate discussion on inflammation from the perspective of, well, if I'm inflamed, how do I know and where do I look to try to fix the problem? Because there are many different triggers for inflammation, and all of these inflammatory triggers tend to converge in one place, and we can talk about that uh, in a different discussion. So let's get back to this concept of insulin. Um, it's very interesting that when you look at the current research on metabolic health and uh, carbohydrate intake and insulin control, we kind of have to switch the conversation just a little bit and talk about fat cells or what in the medical terminology are called adipocytes, adipose cells or adipose tissue basically is, is fat tissue. And for many, many years, um, I would say up until the last couple of decades, fat cells were considered to be passive energy storage compartments um, and that they were really nothing else. That if, if you carried excess body fat, that you were just simply holding on to excess energy in case you needed it at some point in the future. And fat cells were not considered to be metabolically active in any way other than just holding on to energy. Well, now we know that that simply isn't true. We know that 
uh, fat cells, adipocytes can can themselves get inflamed, and they can produce hormones and inflammatory chemicals that then cause metabolic disruption in other areas. So we now know that that these fat cells, these adipocytes, can be metabolically active. And uh, insulin and inflammation is one of those things that can drive them into this metabolic state where not only are they just holding on to energy stores in the form of stored fat or stored triglycerides, that they can potentially start churning out uh, inflammation and hormones that then change your metabolic state in other areas. In addition to that, and again, this is probably a topic for a different section, maybe a different series, is that fat cells are very good at storing things like environmental chemicals. And in fact, if uh, if you've ever worked with a doctor who said, you know, hey, let's do a, a urinary toxin test and they have you pee in a cup and they measure your urine, um, unless they're doing some kind of a provoking strategy where you're taking something to encourage things to come out of storage, uh, chances are all you're seeing is you're seeing what's actually in circulation and you're not necessarily getting a full assessment of what your whole body burden is. Now, it doesn't mean that the information you're getting is useless, but it does beg the question, if you do a P-test for some kind of a toxin and it comes back relatively normal or maybe mildly elevated in some areas, the question then is, well, do you have more hidden in storage that we simply can't see? Because what we see and observe in some cases when uh, when some people lose weight and they their fat cells break down and release their contents, they release these environmental compounds that then drive inflammatory responses. And some people will start to lose weight, start feeling good. And then out of the blue, it's like they hit a wall and they become massively inflamed, which then starts to reverse the process. And they gain some weight and usually they rebound and gain even more, even though they haven't changed their exercise or haven't changed their activity level whatsoever. There's some very interesting research right now um, that talks about how people get fat. And and I, I don't even like saying it that way just because it seems a little bit inconsiderate, but nevertheless, it, it is the terminology. And uh, people can accumulate body fat in one of two different ways. One is to either increase the number of fat cells that they have, or they can increase the size of the fat cells that are there without actually adding to them. And, and that's the difference between uh, fat cell growth or fat cell differentiation and accumulation. Now, what's the practical difference and, and what does this to do have anything to do with inflammation? Well, it turns out that if somebody has increased body fat because they have increased the number of fat cells that they have in their body, let's just pick simple numbers. They used to have 100 fat cells, now they have 200. So they have twice as much fat storage capacity. In those circumstances, the fat cells tend to stay very, very small and they're not necessarily metabolically active. In other words, their fat cells are healthier. And this leads into what we what the medical terminology sometimes will call metabolically health obese people or atypical metabolic healthy obesity. And what this means is basically not everybody who carries around body fat is actually unhealthy, at least on the surface. Whereas somebody who carries around extra body fat, not because they increase the number of fat cells that they have, but because the fat cells they have increase in size, meaning they can store more fat and they can increase the storage of things like environmental chemicals. These are the people that tend to have a more 
metabolically active inflammatory type fat deposition. And these are the ones who are more likely to run into problems when they start to lose fat, especially if they uh, do so very quickly, but they don't have the metabolic health to deal with the inflammatory insult that comes from the inflammation coming from the fat cells or from the environmental chemicals that can re get released in circulation because their body has to have some way of dealing with that, hopefully binding it or chelating it and then getting it out of the system. And so when it comes to the landscape of weight loss, you know, I kind of started by saying that, you know, this, this idea that it's just simply a matter of consuming fewer calories and, and increasing your activity level, that is from the perspective of where we are now, it is actually hopelessly naive. Um, unfortunately, it's still perhaps the most pervasive thought. And I hope that if you have, you know, fallen into that mindset, that some of the things that we're talking about is convincing you that there is more to the story. And if you're eating less and working out more and not things are not working, then, you know, there's nothing wrong with you per se. You're not broken. You're not atypical in that sense. There's just some inflammatory obstacles that you need to identify and need to start to overcome. And then, so let's talk just very briefly before we end this particular discussion and episode about the impact of insulin. Because I did mention that insulin itself is an inflammatory compound, but insulin enhances fat deposition. It also decreases lipolytic potential, which is your ability to break down body fat. But insulin, high insulin levels is one of those things that will actually convert healthier small cells into cells that enlarge and expand and become metabolically active. And so one of the more dangerous combinations in terms of gaining weight and doing so in a very unhealthy way and then complicating your ability to reverse that and end up with a, a normal or a, a healthier body composition is if you are someone who is inflamed with higher insulin levels. Now, how do you know that? Um, well, the easiest thing to do is just to check your or test your fasting insulin levels. And this is one of those areas where uh, you really have to completely disregard what the laboratory says is the normal reference range because most labs report the upper limit of normal for insulin, for fasting insulin, as either 20 or 25. It just depends on the region where you are and the numbers that the lab you're looking at uses. Uh, in an ideal world, Fasting insulin levels should be down six or below, four to six, I think, three to six would be ideal, that would be optimal. But in many cases, our first goal is to get somebody with an elevated fasting insulin from where they are to single digits. If we can get them to 10, down to nine, then we can worry about being uh, more diligent and optimizing and going from nine to seven to six or whatever the case is. And that's a test that's easy to do. Um, you know, hopefully you can convince your medical doctor or your functional medicine practitioner or whoever's doing your labs to do it for you. And if not, there are organizations, uh, third-party companies that are out there uh, here on the States, at least, where you can basically go order your own lab test. And so that wouldn't be too difficult to do. Just to make sure if you're doing that, you're doing an overnight fast, drink plenty of water, but don't eat food for at least 12 hours, perhaps even 14 to 16. And that way you're going to get a good idea of what your fasting insulin levels are. Remember, single digits at the very least and ideally six or below would be optimal. Now, maybe maybe your fasting insulin is okay. Maybe that's not the problem, but maybe you're inflamed. Are there tests for inflammation? Yeah, that's a topic for a different discussion because conventional wisdom says that if your C-reactive protein 
and your ESR or your sed rate are normal, then you're not inflamed. Well, I tend to disagree. We'll talk about that in a different episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Inflammation Nation. If you found this episode valuable, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Be the first to know when a new episode drops so that you can stay on top of your game. It also helps others like you find the answers they need. And why not head over to my main website, drnoseworthy.com, that's drnoseworthy.com, to explore my personalized functional medicine coaching programs, submit a question to the podcast, maybe take a quiz, or even reach out to me using the contact form that you can find there. We'll see you next time.